This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. Well, for our teaching time today, we are going to go over Exodus chapter 3. As you see on the board up there, we're going to go through selected passages, which means I'm going to go pretty much to the end of the chapter. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Moses had pretty much settled down. As it says in the scriptures, he ran from Egypt when he was 40 years old, but he was 80 when his ministry began. So he was about 80 years old when this is going on. So he had plenty of time to get settled down and into the life of a shepherd. Now, Horeb, the mountain of God, is at the end or the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. And we need the next slide, please. So this is the Sinai Peninsula. And Katie, take note, I'm using my pointer. Mount Sinai is down here, but Jethro's the priest of Midian and Midian is here. So Moses is leading this flock this far. Now, considering that it was 40 years, he had plenty of time to get there. And there was not any problem. And Horeb, by the way, means parched mountain, which means it's dry, it's hot, it's pretty well destitute of all life, except for the fact, and this is an important detail, that this was God's chosen mountain. Now, think about this. Moses wanders all the way down here. Now, when he's leading the people out of Egypt from up here, near where it says Ramesses, and he goes down here. Think about that. Moses has already been there. He knows the landscape and pretty much where he's going. And then the, the path of the Exodus goes this way, which Moses was also familiar with. Think about that for a second. Moses' experience as a shepherd allowed him to basically, to use a military term, recon the entire area. Now think about it in relation to ourselves. God never wastes anything in our lives. Everything that happens, happens for a purpose and a reason, and no experience is ever wasted when we're with God, because He will see to it that all of this stuff that we think is a hindrance, all of the things that we believe are a hindrance, will come in handy or be used by God later in some fashion. And I can promise you, in my life already, everything that's happened to me has happened for a particular reason, and no experience in my own life has ever been wasted, including what happened about two years ago. God takes everything and uses it to shape our character. There is nothing that will ever happen to us that is out of the range of God's attention and not useful for anything. Like, whoa, what is happening here? Why is this going on? 
Well, God's probably using it to prune some of those branches off that tree and make you more productive and fruitful for Him. Now, I know that probably makes a lot of us uncomfortable simply because we don't like a lot of the experiences we have to go through, do we? And we say, God, how can you possibly use this? And sometimes you might, if we stop complaining long enough, we might hear God answer saying, you'll see in my time. Now, let's go to God's call on Moses. Now, he's out there in the desert down where you see, you know, we're down near the mountain of God in Horeb. And he sees this bush that seems to be burning, but nothing's happening to the bush, but the flame is still there. And then he hears God say, Moses, Moses. Now, Moses responds, here I am. Now, it's important to know that this doesn't mean location, because God already knew where Moses was. Moses is responding with a sense of availability. This also teaches us that God is the one who will most likely initiate the contact to reach out to us. Because if we're not really walking with God, are we ever particularly in a real reason to reach out to God? Probably not. You know, if, if we're walking with the world and we're doing the world's things and we're living pretty worldly, we're going to go and be doing worldly stuff. And thinking about talking with God is sometimes the last thing on our minds. But God takes the initiative. Now, God is calling to Moses. Moses has to respond to this call. So what's unique about this is Moses responds not very enthusiastically, shall we say? Because he goes later, we'll see this, who am I to go do this? But anyway, responding to God's call. What's interesting here is that Moses was doing his ordinary task, which was looking after sheep. And that's where God called him. So a lot of us believe at times, I guess, that to receive a call from God, we have to be walking through the woods and the garden and see the sunlight coming through the trees. And then we get to this nice glade. We just get down on our knees and suddenly this light beam comes from heaven. And we think we hear this voice that says, Mike, Mike, hey, uh, okay, you know. And we think we got to receive this big, mighty, dramatic call. Well, maybe not. Moses was technically, if we want to look at it this way, Moses was at work. And so don't be surprised if you're doing something relating to your job, like loading up the medicine cart or taking a big cart of you know, stuff for the grocery shelves to be stocked or whatever it is you're doing, and you hear God in that place. Because God will call anybody at any time. And relating to this, everybody heard of Dwight Moody, the preacher from the was it, 19th century? D.L. Moody is often, and this is from Jack Graham's devotionals, D.L. Moody is often referred to as the Billy Graham of the 19th century. But what many people don't know about Moody 
is that it wasn't really until a trip to the British Isles at that time that he fully grasped God's calling on his life. One day on his trip, Moody went to Dublin to hear a man preach by the name of Henry Varley. That day, Varley uttered words which would change Moody's life forever. He said, The world is yet to see what God could do with a man totally committed to him. When D.L. Moody heard these words, he said in his heart, By God's grace, I'll be that man. This commitment launched Moody into a productive ministry. He preached all over the world, spreading God's message of salvation simply because he said, I'll be that man. Now, think about this. The point there is that what can God do with someone who is totally committed to him? Now, what we see here eventually is that Moses is, for lack of any other way to put it, he doesn't have a whole lot of all, you know, alternatives there, but he ends up being completely committed to God and God's work. Think about the profound impact Moses has had on all of Western civilization since about 1400 B.C. He kind of has, has had a fairly important impact, right? Delivering, getting the Ten Commandments and that being the basis of the constitutional law of so many countries around the world and the basic moral code that we should follow. That's pretty impactful. So, but still God calls him and Moses said, I've, you know, God says, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. I'm going to lead them out of Egypt and I'm going to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, now God says at the verse 10, Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Then that's where Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Basically, he said, not why me, but what position do I have that where I could go to Pharaoh and demand such a thing? Because you remember why Moses fled Egypt, right? He killed this Egyptian guy. So he was running from Egypt because the Pharaoh had actually heard that his grandson, I guess, had killed an Egyptian. And so there was an immediate death sentence put out on Moses. So he had to flee. Now then, he grew up in the palace in Egypt, but he had to leave that. And so his own people, the Hebrews, would possibly suspect that Moses was like a spy or a fifth columnist because, well, he was one of the Egyptians, and now here he is trying to lead us. Uh, I don't think so. You know, that's what might would, would have happened. So Moses had reason to actually wonder, who am I? I mean, I'm a fugitive. But God says, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. And then he goes on to say that when you lead the people out of Egypt, 
you're going to come worship and serve me on this mountain. And now Moses has another objection here. He says, when I go to the people, who am I going to say sending me? Now, what does God tell Moses? I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, I am means I am who I am, and I will always be this, and I am self-existent, I'm self-supporting, I'm content as who I am, so, you know, I could set the Israelites free if I wanted to, but I am, and I want you to go, Moses. And so, Moses kind of wonders, and then he tries to tell God he's got a speech impediment, you know, where he stutters or something like that. But God says, I am who I am, because I am is enough. This name that God has is very simple, but it's all-encompassing of his character. You see, God's encounter with Moses at the burning bush, recorded for us in Exodus 3, and this is from Alistair Begg's devotional book from this past week, underscores the relationship between God's name and his character. As Moses approached the bush, God instructed him to take off his shoes from his feet as he was standing on holy ground. God instructed him to do this, and in the ensuing dialogue after being commanded to go to Pharaoh and demand the Israelites' release, Moses understandably asked, well, if I come to the people, who am I going to say has sent me? And then, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God's answer, I am who I am. God uses the verb to be. I am to convey his name. By using this verb, he distinguishes between himself and all the false gods, which ought to call themselves, I'm not. Idols are made by human hands, or in our day, often within our own hearts. Craftsmen fashion them out of wood, stone, or ivory, or fashion them on pedestals. Nevertheless, they inevitably topple over and need to be righted again. As we remember from when the Ark of the Covenant was in the tent, it's Dagon. You remember what happens after the Ark is captured by the Philistines? And they take it, and they put the ark in there. Dagon falls off the pedestal, and his nose breaks off. So then they put it back, and the next day they come, it's toppled down again, and its arms are off. So this is what he's talking about here. The other gods, the idols, should say, I am not. But for the creator of the ends of the earth, it is justifiable and right that he should be known as I am, for he is like no one else. He was not created. He is completely self-existent, and he is completely self-fulfilled. He is in need of no one and nothing. To that 
that which he has always possessed, he still possesses. He knows neither beginning nor end. He fulfills all of his promises. He is the God of limitless life and power. We are to exalt his name and his name alone, for this is what we were made for. All of us struggle not to bow down before idols, those created things that we worship and make sacrifices for because we think they will bring us life. But if we would worship him as we ought to, our idols must fall before him. He is the only creator, the only I am, the only one who rules earth and heaven. So he is self-existent and that's important for us to know because the God we have, the God shown to us by Jesus, by saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's completely sufficient. He's the all-encompassing God of the universe, and he is capable of handling any and every issue we would bring before him. One other thing about this passage, and it's later in the chapter, and it's an amazing statement. And God is telling Moses, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go, you shall not go empty handed, but you're going to plunder the Egyptians. And one of the most fascinating passages in all of Exodus here is that Moses was beginning to become extremely popular among the Egyptians because of the power that he seemed to have. And they saw him and they were beginning to go, whoa, this is Moses. And they were like freaked out basically. They'd never seen such influence or such power or such a command from, or, you know, awareness of God's power among any of their other religious leaders that they had. But Moses, the things that he said were going to happen, happened. And so Moses had favor among the people of Egypt too. And so that's what can happen when we follow God with all of our heart and do like Moody says, I will be that man or I will be that woman who is completely sold out to God. Moses, by the time it got around to this, was totally sold out to God, and look at what he accomplished. And I believe, honestly, that we might be able to accomplish some of the same things if we would yield ourselves completely to God. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living. Mm-hmm.